Hello, everyone, fellow truth seekers. Welcome to BibleQuest.tv. We're glad you're able to join us today and hope that you uh, participate in the program. We'll be talking about a very interesting subject. Um, I want to welcome our panelists to the program. I hope, oh, let me stop my share. Well, we'll do all of this together at the same time. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a little disheveled. I like that word, disheveled. <laughs> yes, I am, I am the king of disheveledness, and welcome, Jeff. How are you down there? In- Very good. That sounds like you take a deck of cards, and instead of shuffling them, you disheveled them. That's exactly. 52-card <laughs> pickup is what we call that. What, what was that, Stephen? 52-card pickup is what we call that. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. So picking them up. Welcome to the program, Stephen. Good to see you also today. Good to be here, Drew. Welcome, everybody. And Scott, happy you're here. How's it going? And Jonathan, our webcast engineer, is here helping us with the monitoring and other things. How you doing, Jonathan? Doing really well. Good to see you guys this week. Great. I think we're all technically set. If you're coming in from the Zoom app, we want you to give us your comments and your questions um, using the Q&A box window. And also, if you're coming in on the Facebook page, Stephen's live on Stephen's Facebook page, use the comment box underneath the video there. Everyone knows what you know. You know how to do all these things. So today, guys, um, we'll turn it right over to you guys. We're going to be talking about something, I guess you can say, this is an emotional subject, right? Emotional. It, it, it comes in, it plays on our emotions as well, and maybe gets interferes with doing the right thing. But we're going to be talking about forgiveness, where do we want yeah. to go with that? Yeah, that's, you know, forgiveness is a really important thing. Maybe let's just start with this. Um, if you're talking with just somebody on the street, and uh, let's say uh, you, you put these questions, what, what responses from the typical person on the street would you give? The first question, are you perfect? And the answer they're going to give is? No, hopefully. Have you ever sinned? If you ask them that question, what are most people going to say? Well, yeah. Isn't everybody? But then if you ask them, have you ever done just horrible, evil, evil things? What are most people going to say? No, no, no. I haven't done anything like that. I not kill anybody. Then you say, well, so, but you have sinned, so how do you expect to go to heaven if you've done some little things that are wrong? How do you expect to go to heaven? And what are they going to say? Well, I'm a good person. Yeah. Well, what about those little things you've done? What's God going to think about those? And what are they going to say? To human to forgive is divine. Yeah, that's exactly what they're going to say. So it's the idea is it's just within God to be this kind of uh, nice guy and say, look, okay, you're not Adolf Hitler. You're not Saddam Hussein. You're not uh, bin Laden. Uh, so, you know, I'll just overlook the little things you've done wrong. And, and they think that is called forgiveness. They think that God just ignoring things, just saying, I'm not going to worry about it because you're basically a good person is, they think that's forgiveness. And there are several things wrong with that. One is they think that they deserve to go to heaven because of the good things they've done. And that's really justification by works. The fact is, the problem is the bad things we've done. And the little bad things we've done are worse than we think. But the other problem with this is it fails to understand that For God to forgive us, there is a price that has to be paid. Forgiveness requires a sacrifice, and I have to be connected with that sacrifice. So maybe we could talk about that just a little bit. The idea of God's justice and uh, what he has done 
so that he can both be just and punish sin, and at the same time, he can relieve us of the consequences of sin. Uh, this is a New Testament passage that, that kind of deals with that catch-22. What would that be? It's in uh, Romans chapter 3, isn't it? The just and the justifier. Yeah. So look at that verse. I think, is it the end of verse 26 where you have that contrast? That's right, yeah. So we back up just a little bit in the context. Still pick up in verse 21. This is Romans three twenty-one. Uh, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That expression that popped up a couple of times there, to show his righteousness, that, that kind of leaves the impression that his righteousness would be in question. And what is it that was done to show his righteousness? Well, it, it was Jesus Christ, his blood being shed. So why would God's righteousness be in question if there's no sacrifice of Jesus? Let me work that if, if, if God is, sometimes people picture God as kind of like this benevolent grandfather who, you know, he says, oh, well, you can't have dessert. And then, you know, you get done and uh, he says, oh, I know what I said, but go, go ahead, you know, and, and just kind of this, he's just this, again, kind of like you said, just a nice guy. And, and, and he's not really gonna hold your feet to the fire at the end of the day. He loves us and he's going to forgive us, you know. And if, if your grandfather does that, you say, oh, that's nice. But if you're in a courtroom in a court of law and there's someone who is guilty and you're the innocent party who's been sinned against, and the judge says, well, this guy's a good friend of mine and I know he's really a nice guy. And, you know, I, I just think we should let him off on this one, don't you? He said, no, that's not justice. This guy's been convicted. He's, he, here's the witnesses. He, it's wrong. Uh, and, and, of course, God is a God of love. And he's also a God of justice. And so, so there's this kind of conundrum that we have. Well, how can God be loving and not just send everybody to hell? Because that's what everybody deserves. But then at the same time, how can God forgive anybody? Because you can't just let sin off the hook. You can't be that unjust judge who just is nice about it. That's, that's, that punishment has to be paid for. I like that word conundrum. Um, and in a court of law, a judge has a choice. He can either be just or he can be merciful to the defendant who's done this horrible thing. If it's a, if it's a guy who's committed some horrific crime, you either have to, to be just and hold him accountable or you can be merciful and ignore the crime, but you can't be both. And yet God has found a way to be both. And by the way, we ought to make this point when we're talking about justice and righteousness, we're really, when we say God is righteous, we're saying God is just. Those two words are two different English words of saying the same thing. 
That's his character. It's his nature. And his character, his nature is that he is just, so he is going to punish sin. And yet he's also loving and merciful. So he, he came up with, he has a plan to solve this conundrum. How can he be just and punish our sin and at the same time be merciful and allow us to escape the consequence of our sin, which would be eternal condemnation. And that's what you see at the end of verse 26. So maybe if you'll go there again. And while you're going there, I just want to remind everyone in the audience, we want to hear your comments and questions of the things we're talking about. So use the text windows or the Q&A box and give us your, your feedback. So the end of verse 26, that he might, this is the American standard, and it says that he might himself be just or righteous and the justifier of him that has faith in Jesus. He can be just, he can be righteous, he can punish our sin, and he can at the same time be, he can justify us. So, and and of course, the context makes it clear he does that in in Jesus, in, in Jesus' blood. So Jesus is the one who takes the punishment for sin. God is just, he's punished the sins we've committed, but then we're, able to escape the consequences because he can say, I've dealt with your sin. But then what this underscores is we have to be connected with the death of Jesus. Otherwise, every did Jesus die for everybody? Yeah, he did. Yes. Yep. Is, is everybody going to be saved or are there some people going to be condemned? Did Jesus die for Hitler? Certainly. Is Hitler going to be saved? Nope. I, I don't believe so. So what's the difference between Hitler and somebody else? Well, somebody will say, well, the difference is he just committed way worse sins. Is that the difference? Who are some people in the Bible who committed horrible sins, and yet they're going to be saved? Yes. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. What did he do? Well, he cast his vote to kill Christians. He dragged men and women off, committed them to prison for being Christians, uh, did everything he knew to do against the cause of Christ. Today we would call him a terrorist. And, and yet he's going to be saved. He's going to have eternal life. So why does he have eternal life and, and um, Osama bin Laden doesn't? Uh, well, the difference is whether or not one is in Christ. You become connected with that which, G, which God provided to make forgiveness possible. See, that's what we're talking about is forgiveness. But forgiveness to be possible, a righteous God has to have a means to punish our sin, to deal with our sin. So that, that then, go ahead. Let's go ahead. And so that, is that how that answers that statement in Romans, to show God's justification, or righteousness? Yeah, and he says it's in Christ. It's for all, uh, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is where? In Christ. In Christ, yeah. In Christ Jesus. Well, and, that verse, and that verse right before it, uh, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, I think is really clear because the wages of sin is death. Uh, we will see that in chapter 6. But from the beginning, the Old Testament teaches us about the animal sacrifices, that the life of the flesh is in the blood, um, that for there to be atonement, for there to be forgiveness, there has to be a punishment of the wrong that's been committed. And what God has done is he is just in that there was a punishment, that there was blood, there was a life that was given, but he's gracious and loving in that it wasn't 
our life. It wasn't my life. Uh, it was the life of his son, Jesus. Yeah, so all those Old Testament stories emphasizing the, the need for the shedding of blood to take away sin are, are preparing man for this understanding what it's going to take for us to be forgiven. So, so then we get to this point. When it says that's, that's in Jesus Christ, this, this grace of God is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, then what does that tell us about the very, very kind Muslim or the very, very noble Buddhist uh, I think he's a good person. Uh, has he sinned? Has he ever done anything wrong? Yeah. Can, can he be forgiven? He can be, yeah. yeah. He can be forgiven. Where's the forgiveness? It's in Christ. Christ Jesus, according it, to Romans. Yeah, and, and in Ephesians 1, you have that language, the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. So, all right, if if it's in Christ Jesus, then somebody that well, what that tells us is you, you need to be in Christ or another way to say that is you need to be a Christian. How, at what point does one come to be in Christ so that he can have forgiveness? I think this is the point. So many of my friends in, in evangelical churches and, and who just kind of are vaguely religious don't get, they think I'm a good person. I go to church. I believe in Jesus. I'll be forgiven, but they don't understand I have to become connected with that atoning sacrifice so that my sins are atoned for, or else I can't be forgiven. God would be unjust. And so maybe we need to nail that down. I, you know what? I like to go back to the Old Testament. I won't take time to turn there, but I like to go to Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3, and Leviticus chapter 3 and verse 8, and I think about verse 13. And in those passages, it talks about a man who brings a sacrifice, an animal like a, a goat or a sheep, and for it to make atonement for him on his behalf. The language is that he has to lay his hands on the head of the animal. And in the Day of Atonement ceremonies, there are two goats. There's one that dies and one that is sent away in the wilderness. And Aaron lays his hands on the head of the live goat and thus lays the sins of the people on the goat and sends it away into the wilderness so that their sins are taken away by the goat. Are sins something that you can literally set on an animal and watch that animal ride off and carry those sins away? No, of course not. But that's teaching a concept, and it's teaching the concept that this animal sacrifice that foreshadows the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, that it involves our sins being laid on that animal, that we have to be connected with that animal. Goats died all the time, but just because a goat dies didn't mean the worshiper had his sins atoned for. He had to be connected with the death of that goat. And in the New Testament, we have to become connected with this atoning sacrifice that makes it possible for God to be righteous and say, I have punished your sin if you're connected with this sacrifice. The book of Romans tells us how we become connected with that, doesn't it? Yeah, and so and so what you're saying to sum up, up to this point is that forgiveness is costly. That's right. Forgiveness isn't God just sitting up in heaven and saying, oh, I know what I said, but you know what? Don't worry about it. God could not do that and be just in the justifier. Exactly. Uh, to be just, there had to be a sacrifice for sins. And that's what the whole Testament teaches us. And so how do we get to be forgiven? is the question. Right. So Jeff, uh, a moment ago, you talked about your evangelical friends who then they might take the, the attitude that I, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy and, I, and, and 
that's why I'm going to have forgiveness of sins. Isn't that then putting faith in myself rather than faith in Christ? They're putting faith in themselves to the extent that they believe I'm a good guy, so surely I deserve to go to heaven. And then they are not putting faith in the character of God because they're not believing that God will be true to his character and punish their sin. Um, They're thinking that God will just decide that, you know what, it's no big deal after all. At least that's what many people, whether they think it through or not, that's basically what they're thinking. And so then the question is, if God says, your sin has to be atoned for, it has to be punished, I have to deal with it, I have to be a just God, I am righteous in my character, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish your sin, but I'm going to relieve you of the consequence. He can have it both ways because of Jesus Christ. Jesus dies on the cross, our sins can be punished there, and we can be relieved of the consequence. But the question is, if not everybody gets that benefit, those who are in Christ get that benefit, how do I come to be in Christ so that I'm a part of his death and my sins are a part of his death? Yeah. One of the ways I like to point this out to people is sometimes even when I'm talking with Christians is just to ask them, why did Jesus have to die? Like, couldn't God have just forgiven us and been nice without Jesus having to be brutally murdered? You know, like, why was that necessary? And that really gets people to think about this idea of, well, that's what was necessary for us to be forgiven. So, Jeff, I know you want to get to Romans in this uh, concept. Where you want to go with that? Well, I'd like to go to Romans 6. In Romans chapter 6, um, he's talking about us dying to sin. And the point is, we can't go on living sinful lives if we, if we become a part of Christ. Um, and the way he says it is in verse 2, we who died to sin, how shall we any longer live therein? We can't continue in those sins. Or are you ignorant that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we also might walk in newness of life. So you have this idea in chapter 3 that there is a uh, propitiation. Uh, There's a righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ to them that believe. There's a redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 6, we're baptized into Christ's death, which is the the thing that accomplishes this propitiation, the God dealing righteously with our sin. And then we come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, "There's there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Because our sins have been condemned in the suffering of Jesus. I really think that's probably the meaning of the phrase in um, verse uh, 3 when it says, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the ordinance of the law might be fulfilled in us. So if, if I want to be forgiven, I can't just count on God just saying, well, Jeff, you know what? I'm not going to worry about your sins. I have to count on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ being where God dealt with my sins. But for me to be able to count on that, this says I need to be in Christ. And we're, we come to be in Christ when we're baptized into his death. So, so Jeff, you're, you're actually saying then that there's something that I have to do? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Jeff, usually you don't answer it that way. You say, no, that's not me saying it. That's the scripture saying it. Okay, I'm sorry. No, that's not me saying it. That's the scripture saying it. <laughs> yeah. Now, Peter, 
Peter on the day of Pentecost, what shall we do? They cried out. And Peter didn't say, oh, you don't have to do anything. Uh, God did it all. Peter said, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the what? Forgiveness, forgiveness of your sins. There's forgiveness. Forgiveness is connected with being baptized because baptism is into the death of Christ. And it's the death of Christ that takes away my sin. Just as the Old Testament Israelite had to be connected with that sacrifice. We have to be connected with the sacrifice of Jesus. The Old Testament Israelite became connected by putting his hands on the animal that was going to be slain for him. We become connected with the sacrifice by being buried with Christ through baptism into his death. So how does all this factor into us forgiving each other? That um, There's this whole other dimension of forgiveness that uh, is sometimes a lot more difficult to deal with because, of course, all of us want forgiveness from God, and the Bible shows us how to receive that forgiveness. Um, but sometimes forgiving our friends, uh, forgiving our family members, forgiving our enemies. Can I, interject, can I interrupt you, Stephen? Forgive me, but it started th- I got thinking about what Jesus said on the cross, though. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Where does that play into all of this? And then, then I want to get into that other part of what you just raised, Stephen, about forgiving others. Do we have to forgive others? But what about that? Well, wait a minute. That's part of the question. Do we have to forgive others? Jesus is our example. What is, what is he doing on the cross there, Jack? Or Stephen? Or Scott? <laughs> Any of you? Well, the passage you're talking about is in, what, Luke 23, I believe, right? Um, so. It's only in Luke's gospel that we got this, uh, Luke 23, and in verse... Um, uh, verse 34, Luke 23, verse 34. Thanks. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of interesting because, uh, you know what, I want to grab my New American Standard here real quickly and just see what it does here in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Um, and I may be able to, if this does what I think it's going to do, I can put this up to the camera and it doesn't. Okay. Sometimes the new American standard where there's a text, where there's a variation in the manuscripts and it's uncertain whether it's original or not, it'll put it in brackets. It doesn't put this one in brackets. But in my copy of the Greek New Testament that I'm looking at here, it puts the first part of verse 34 where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing or they know not what they do. Um, It puts that in brackets, and that's because uh, some very old manuscripts do not have this passage, uh, and then some other manuscripts do have this passage. And so there's some question as to whether this is original or not. We can assume for the sake of argument, suppose Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, in verse 34. Um, Here's what I would understand about that. Um, Jesus is still not communicating the idea that God can just be this, what did you say, kindly grandpa? Is that what you said? Something like that, yeah. Who just says, ah, just, just ignore what they did. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh, Jesus has commissioned the apostles. To, to. They have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They have what they bind is what has been bound in heaven, and what they uh, unloose or what they forgive is what's been loosed in heaven. And Peter... Jesus' apostle, not long after this, seven weeks after this, is going to proclaim the terms of this forgiveness. 
in Acts 2, we just mentioned when he preaches, you crucified Jesus. Think about this. Jesus is on the cross saying, if, if this is authentic, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Seven weeks later, Peter says, uh, you, uh, uh, um, says uh, you by the hand of lawless men did crucify and slay. And they could have said, oh, yeah, but Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive us, because we didn't know what we were doing. And then Peter again says in verse 36, uh, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And they could have said, yeah, 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 but Jesus already said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what, we didn't know what we were doing. They said, what do we do? And Peter didn't say, don't worry about it. Jesus already said, Father, forgive them, for you didn't know what you were doing. Peter said, Jesus, apostle, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so, yes, Jesus called upon God to forgive them. And yes, they could be forgiven. But the terms of those forgiveness, the terms of that forgiveness would be decreed by Peter and the rest of the apostles. But yeah. there's still a, the topic here, and that is uh, the, the idea that just as God forgives us, we need to be willing to forgive others. You have this passage in Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 14, after the Lord's Prayer. For if you forgive men their trespasses, uh, he will also, the fa our Father, your Father will, in heaven, will also forgive to you. And if you do not forgive men, then uh, your Father will uh, not forgive your trespasses. Yeah, so that, there is that's, a correlation there. That's a big deal. Uh, if we stand before God unforgiven on the day of judgment, there, there's only one place for us. And uh, it is contingent. It is dependent on our being willing to forgive others their trespasses against us. And, of course, that's what he says in the prayer itself. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Um, so we talked about this idea of that forgiveness is costly uh, for God. Uh, he can't just pass over. And then there's conditions for us that we have to repent. We need to be immersed into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Um, so, so what can we say about this idea of forgiving other people? I thought that Christians were supposed to just be forgiving people as far as if someone's hurt me, if someone's done wrong to me, I need to just forgive them. I need to just treat them well. And, you know, uh, I can't react poorly to them or hold them at arm's length just because that they've wronged me. Uh, I need to be a forgiving person and, and treat them well, even though they've hurt me. And so if we talk about forgiveness, as we've been talking about it, there's a, there's a cost. Forgiveness costs something. Then, you know, we, we might have the attitude, well, I'm not going to forgive anybody until they've paid for their sins somehow. And that doesn't, you know, we, we wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's let's distinguish between two things. Let's distinguish between the idea of forgiving as God forgives us of our sins. That's one thing. And then on the other hand, the attitude, the the feelings that we have towards someone or even in our own hearts about wrongs that we may have suffered, those are not necessarily the same thing. Um, so let's talk, first of all, I think a lot of times when people say we should just forgive people, um, regardless of whether they've corrected their wrong or not, I think that what they're really talking about is not so much um, 
dealing with their sin. I think what they're really talking about is dealing with my own feelings, dealing with my own feelings toward right. that person. And let's, let's talk about that first and then come back to the concept of forgiveness. Let's talk about the fact that Christians need to be people who are not bitter, who do not hold a grudge, and who are willing to be kind and treat people, kind to people and treat people well, whether they're doing the right thing or not. Let's yeah. talk about that just for a minute. Maybe we can look at Ephesians 4. Uh, the end of Ephesians 4 may be helpful in illustrating this. Mm-hmm. Uh, verses 31 and 32, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Mm-hmm. So these terms, these terms kindness and not being bitter, and, and there's a word here that I might translate even be sympathetic, and these kinds of terms, uh, th- these are not attitudes that we reserve only for people who've made all their wrongs right. Um, and even the term forgive is here, except here it's not the word that we normally see in the Gospels, like Luke 23, Father, forgive them. This is not the same word here, and it's not quite the same idea. Uh, This is a word that's similar to the word for grace. It's similar to the word that we think of as meaning favor, kindness. A lot of times people want to say unmerited favor. Really, that unmerited is contextual. But but, so this this is a passage that's talking about the attitude that we're to have toward people and, and what we're talking about is if I am inwardly what I ought to be, then I am not going to be bitter toward the person who's done wrong to me, even if he hasn't made it right. But that's something different than the idea of forgiveness, as we see, for example, in the Lord's Prayer and at the end of the Lord's Prayer, where he says, if we don't forgive others, uh, God won't forgive us. That's a, that's a different thing than this here. Hmm. So, so would you say that, uh, let's take like, what we're supposed to do for our enemies. Um, uh, what is it, like Romans 12, for instance, where it talks about that. Uh, let me turn it over there real quick. Romans 12 and verse 14, where it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Right. Uh, that, that's to be our personal attitude. Um, right. That doesn't mean that we have right. fuzzy feelings for them. But in how we choose to treat them, we are going to bless them. We're going to pray for them. Jesus would say that in the Sermon on the Mount. Pray for those who who use you um, spitefully. And and so there's a difference in that that there hasn't been reconciliation there. We're still at odds with our persecutors. Um, And and I want to be careful how I say this, but I'm trying to explore this as we're talking about it. Would you say, like, we're to bless them? even though technically they haven't been forgiven because right. they haven't repented. But I'm still, right. to be, I'm still to bless them and do good to them and pray for them. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Scott's trying to get something in here. I think sometimes people get confused on if you forgive them, then you're, well, let me just put it this way. Second Corinthians chapter one, okay, or chapter two. There's a man that the church of Corinth has had to discipline. Um, 
and he has repented. Oh, what does the text say to do? Now that he has repented, it says, forgive him. So starting in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 2, 6, sufficient to such one is the punishment which was inflicted by the many. Contrarywise, you should rather forgive him and comfort him, lest by any means such one should be swallowed up with his overmuch sorrow. Confirm your love toward him. I forgive him. It's not that they didn't love him before. The reason a church disciplines someone, they need to do that, besides keeping the church pure, out of love for the person that is lost. So it's not like, well, I didn't love you. I was mad at you. Now I love you again, so I'm not mad at you. That's forgiveness. No, there was, there was a wrong here that had to be made right. They cared about him. They wanted him to do the right thing. And now that he has done the right thing, you forgive them. It's not that now you care about him again. It's not now that you love him again. That was there, but it's involved. And, and his parents, you know, when we have to discipline a child, uh, it, it's we love the child. Proverbs 13, you know, that's to be the motivation. And so uh, there's a point at which out of love, you have to realize, no, you're not forgiven. Not because I want to be bitter, but because this isn't made right. So if, if, you know, one of you guys does something really mean to me, really, really bad to me, you've done wrong. You're going to stand before God and give account. If you're not forgiven of that by God, if you don't repent of that and deal with that, um, does that mean that I should carry this grudge around in my heart and just be bitter to you and mean to you every time I see you? That's that's human nature, maybe. That's the tendency. Right. What, what we're called upon is really to have an attitude kind of like what we see in, in Romans, the fifth chapter and verse eight. God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God took the initiative and reached out with something that was good for us when we were in a state of rebellion. And when someone does something wrong to us, we need to have it in our hearts to be able to have in our hearts the desire for what is good for that person. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's, it, go ahead. Isn't it in first Corinthians 13, uh, that one of the words it, love does not keep a record of wrongs or it doesn't yeah. count up wrongs. If I'm not mistaken, isn't, wasn't that like an accounting term? It, kind of the idea of you got like this backlog somewhere where you've written down, so to speak, all the things that someone's done against you. And, and, and Paul is saying, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep a list. Love doesn't bear a grudge. Yeah, it is. Um, it, is, it, is it is an accounting term. Yeah. But how do you know if they've gotten close to 490? <laughs> That's right, 70 oh times God. 7. <laughs> okay, so that reference brings us to something else, and that is that when we talk about the word that we often see in the Gospels, for example, in, in the passage we were looking at in Matthew 6, forgive men their trespasses. Now we're talking about something else that could also be related to accounting, to keeping accounts of things, and that's the term forgive, and it's used for forgiving a debt. Um, so you mentioned Matthew 18, Scott. The, the 490 was a reference to Peter's question, how shall I forgive him until 70 times 7 if my brother sins against me? And, of course, 
without getting a calculator out, 70 times 70 is 490, right? Right. <laughs> so Jesus tells this story about a, a king who was going to make a reckoning, a settling of accounts with his servants. And uh, there was some guy who owed him 10,000 talents, which would be a huge, huge sum. And the guy didn't have the ability to pay it. Verse 25 says, for as much as he had not wherewith to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, I have patience with thee, and I'll pay thee all. And the Lord of that servant being moved with compassion. So, so there's already a, a kindly feeling here, but that kindly feeling leads him to quote, forgive him the debt or it, he forgave him the debt. Here's the word forgive connected with the word debt. And if we go yep. back to Jesus' prayer um, that he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he says in verse 12 of Matthew 6, forgive us our debts, that's what God does, as we also forgive or have uh, forgiven our debtors. So somebody has incurred an obligation because they wronged us and, and we forgive the debt. But what this underscores is the concept of accounts. When we sin, we do a wrong. We've incurred a debt, and that debt can be forgiven by God, but there's a price that has to be paid, and that price is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And if I wrong one of you, if I sin against you, you, you should have a kindly spirit toward me, and if I persecute you, you are to bless me. But the fact is, I have incurred a debt against God, whether you want to think about it or not. And that debt doesn't go away just because you have a kindly spirit toward me. And that debt needs to go away. And the only way it can go away is to be forgiven. And the forgiveness requires a price. And that's the death of Jesus Christ. And so that's why you have, in a passage like Luke 17, what does Jesus say about forgiving somebody? Does he make it conditional or not? In Luke 17, the first few verses there. Yeah, he says, uh, if, he, if he repents, forgive him. And even if he comes to you seven times, well, let's just read that. Luke 17, make sure we get this right here. Yeah, Luke verse 17, three. starting verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Mm -hmm. Uh, How does that play out though? uh, I think Scott, you were bringing up an an example earlier today. How does that play out? Someone sins against me directly in a manner that really hurts me. And I think you used the example of uh, a young lady getting married to her and her fiance. And she, a week before the wedding, is that how the um, argument or the discussion went, Scott? Yeah, it was a scenario, not a, not a specific case, but uh, let's say a young lady has chosen a young man to get married to, and uh, she thinks she's picked uh, a good and honorable and reliable young man. She knows lots of young man, men, but this one she, she thinks is the one. Um, shortly before the wedding, her maid of honor comes to her in tears and says, uh, your fiance and I slept together last night. Well, this is going to be really hard for the bride to be, but if that young man 
ask for forgiveness. As a Christian, what must she do? What she's got, she, she's oh, got to forgive him. Yeah, she, she's got to forgive him. As a Christian, does that mean she has to stay, the wedding is still on? No. Because that's a different thing. There are, there are lots of people that you are glad to have as your brother or sister in Christ, but it doesn't mean that you think they're the best fit for you for a spouse. Um, a, 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 a fellow that's been addicted to drugs and alcohol that just got out of rehab and learns gospel and becomes Christian, we're all thrilled. He should be forgiven of his sins. Wonderful. Does that mean I'm going to say, hey, by the way, I've got a daughter? <laughs> you know, it, it, he's not in the position yet that, uh, that that should be entrusted to him. So there's a difference between being entrusted with other things beyond fellowship as a Christian and fellowship as a Christian. But we owe, uh, you know, when the prodigal son comes back, how quickly does the father forgive him? Right away. Right away. Yeah, he comes back. He's repentant. The father forgives him immediately. He doesn't hold it over him. Uh, and, and he's thrilled to have him back. We need to be thrilled when the lost sheep comes back. We need to care about the lost sheep while the lost sheep is gone. We need to be glad when the silver is found. We need to care about the silver when, when it's lost. Uh, and, and so it's the attitude, you know, what's the second greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. And that involves wanting what's good for them. And there's a proverb that says this. I don't remember the text exactly, but it mentions two things that are both an abomination to God. Condemning the innocent and justifying the wicked. And sometimes we may, in the name of forgiveness, be justifying the wicked. Um, a friend wrote on uh, social media today saying, if I ever do this, please come after me, you know, and, and, and oppose me. You know, because he's saying, that's what I would want to happen. You know, and, and if we say, well, I'm going to be loving and just overlook it, that doesn't mean that we're being loving. So, Stephen, you mentioned earlier, um, were you in First Corinthians 13 when you mentioned the idea of the accounting term reckoning? Yeah. Yes. So, so there is this concept. So, all right. If I am truly going to want what's good for someone and they've done this wrong to me or something, and maybe I can personally say, you know what, you stole $1,000 from me. You know what, I'm going to forget about it, and I'm still going to treat you kindly. But I'm not really doing you any favor if, if I don't hold you accountable in the sense that I say, You're, this, is, this is endangering your soul. You, I may be able to, to do without the thousand dollars, but God in his justice is going to have to punish that sin unless you, unless you are in Christ or unless you can uh, seek forgiveness through Christ, you're in danger of being condemned. And so I need to, to bring that to you. But there's this thing in 1 Corinthians 13, though, that you brought up, uh, Stephen, uh, not reckoning evil, not, not taking account. Like, like if I don't keep a record, I don't mark that down on my mental account for all the things that Stephen has done wrong to me. Um, do I or don't I? Do I say, Stephen, you know, you stole that thousand dollars. Or do I say, ah, Stephen, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Um, 
how do I how do I handle that? First Corinthians thirteen, not reckoning evil. Well, I, th- I think the idea the ESV translates that. I'm not super thrilled with this translation, but it translates it not being resentful is the way it re- translates that that term. And I, I think the idea is when someone sins against you, Matthew 18, you go to them and and talk with them, you and them alone. <laughs> you, you that's not. Oh, hey, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't take an account. It, uh, no, there's something in between them and God, ultimately. And you want to help them make that right. And if they need to make it right with you, they ought to do that too. But when we don't go to them and we store it up in our heart and we start keeping that list of wrongs that they've done and that now when I see them, all I can see is that list of wrongs that they've done to me. Yeah. That's I, I, what too. we need to let go yeah. of. I'm sorry. Was That's I'm what sorry. we need to let go of. That's all I'm saying. So I, I think, too, there may be a difference depending on <clears throat> the sort of thing it is. You know, Paul delivered, uh, what was it, Hymenaeus and Alexander to Satan. He didn't, he didn't just say, I'm not going to reckon their sin. He charged them with sin and remembered it and wrote it down in a letter to Timothy. On the other hand, there are times when I can construe things differently. There's some ambiguity. Maybe somebody sinned against me. Maybe they didn't. Maybe it's dependent upon what was in that person's heart. And I can assume the worst and I can make a mental record of that and say, yeah, he sinned against me. Or I can say, you know, he says he didn't mean it that way. I'm not going to charge him with sin here. I'm not going to record that as sin. I'm going to assume the best. If I know for a fact this person is in sin, it's an act of love to, to remind him of that and encourage him to do something about it. But if there's some ambiguity and it really comes down to my interpretation of things, I can assume the best. And maybe that's the spirit of love that we have in 1 Corinthians 13. Is that the one that says, and uh, love believes all things? Yes, exactly. Right. Believes all things. Does not reckon evil. Um, does not take account of evil, I think one translation says. And then it says, believes all things, hopes all things. Well, guys, we have gone past our time for today. I want to thank everyone who... Uh, had given us their input. Actually, we didn't get too much in input today, so we want to invite you in the audience to give us your comments, your questions. Go to BibleQuest.tv at any time. If you're listening to this program through the podcast, go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form and give us your questions and comments. We want to hear from you, and we can talk more about these things in upcoming programs. Guys, I want to thank you very much. It was a good, good discussion. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.